Hello, this is Compliance Hero, a podcast for financial institution compliance professionals. This is Lynn Farrell. I'm a senior advisor at Treliant, a consulting company from Washington, D.C. And my guest today is Cassie Chandler. Cassie is a senior advisor at Treliant as well, and she's had a long, illustrious career in the FBI and with Bank of America. She's going to talk to us today about the five things compliance professionals need to know about cybersecurity. So welcome, Cassie. Thank you, Lynn. Can you just give us a little bit about your FBI background, because it's quite interesting, and then maybe just a little bit about Bank of America before you go into what you're going to tell us. Sure, I'd love to. Um, Just to a quick summary of my background, I was in the FBI as a special agent for uh, just shy of 24 years, and uh, um, when I retired from the FBI, I had served in financial crimes, white-collar crimes. I was the head of uh, a cybercrime squad while I was in, in the Bureau, and I also moved along the ranks and became an as- assistant director of the FBI's academy, was the section chief of their intelligence program for criminal intelligence, and had oversight for my own office, which was Norfolk, Virginia, just prior to retiring. So it was a great career. Then I went on to Bank of America after I retired from the FBI and had the chance to serve in Bank of America's corporate security office as the head of their global fraud investigations and fraud intelligence and analytics program. You did I, have a stint in compliance. In I Bank did. Of I was. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I was about to tell you. I I left that role and I went over into compliance. I also served as their uh, regulatory executive for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and um, did another stint in analytics and and fraud, and enterprise assessments of possible threats and risks. So, kind of a career when you look at it, it's all about intelligence. That's what I tell people, and it's something I dearly love. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I was thinking about the five things you ought to know about cybersecurity. Well, I bet you can tell us some pretty scary stuff, but <laughs> why don't you go I don't want to scare people too much there, right? What's the first thing we need to know? I think, I think the first thing we should know, and I'm going to step out on a limb because I know everybody has a cybersecurity program, and it's mostly focused around information security. But I think we need to realize that cybersecurity is, is something that's got to be integrated into almost all aspects of a financial services organization. It especially needs to be integrated into the insider threat risk assessment program. Now, when we talk about insider threats, we're usually thinking about internal theft of information, you know, making sure that we are looking for abnormal behavior of our employees, making sure they're not um, having user access in areas they shouldn't be. And we identify that kind of stuff and we we work it into an insider threat risk program. But what we don't look at are those activities of our internal employees where it's something accidental, right? Accidental. Yeah. So the person's not intentionally there trying you go. to there you go. steal information and, or money. And when it comes to cybersecurity, that's a biggie. So what we're talking about are things like they might open access to something in their computer or their mobile phone or um, some type of uh, some other type of system that they have connectivity back to the financial services organization or business. And then once that access gets in, 
there's access. Mm -hmm. Once there's a relationship back into the network or the system of the company, it can be more broadly spread. And that employee, one, may never have known about it, or two, may never um, have really paid close attention to it and going back. And so, so when you think of things like the mobile phones and the tablets, and we're getting to this point now where we require employees, hey, use your own phone. Right, right. The bring um, your own device. Bring your own device. And not everybody has a program that's designed to make sure and keep those devices secure. They have limited access. So you do some things out at your house and you get back into the office. And, and even as, as things as simple as employees using their, their computers in, in a hotel. I mean, little things like that. Not intentional. So how do you make sure that you're not just looking at intentional activity of an employee, but the unintentional when you're looking at an insider threat risk and make sure that cybersecurity is figured into that. So that's number one. Okay. Well, that was certainly a, a scary thought. Okay. Now, we don't <laughs> want these things to be scary thoughts. It's just good things to keep in the back of your mind, well, all right? That's true. So really kind of beefing up that insider threat program that's is what right. you're talking about. Absolutely. Okay. So let's take a look at number two. Okay. I would say number two should be cybersecurity awareness training cannot be something that's structured like most compliance training. It's, it can't be something that's done every year. You have to look at cybersecurity training in a way that it can be constantly changed and it can be um, changed maybe more than once a year. And you have to decide what's the best kind of cyber training. So some, some institutions do have in place testing of their employees. They'll send out a, you know, a bad email or something along that line. But if you get to know what the cyber threats are outside of your organization, externally, what's going on in the industry, you can very easily start figuring that into some training. And not only should your, your cyber training be done where you can do some things periodically, don't just have that one time a year, everybody sits in and can do. Have some different things come up because cyber issues and cyber threats evolve every single day. And the other aspect is, as far as training is concerned, there should be some type of cyber-style training for your board to make sure they're well-versed and they know and understand what your cyber threats are. So that's number two. Cybersecurity awareness training should be structured in such a way that it can constantly evolve. What would you suggest for a board cybersecurity training? Should it be like an hour, 10 minutes, what would you think? Mm -mm. I, you know, of course, you're looking at the woman who truly believes in intelligence and, and, and being incorporating detection and prevention because a lot of cyber today are also issues that can go directly and impact a board member because cyber criminals would love to get that ID and, and take that identity over and do a number of things. I think their training should be a little longer. Really? I think you should have maybe um, a half-day training period for your board. And you bring in individuals that not just not just the training of what you're doing in the corporation, but for their personal lives as well. Okay. Because it could very easily be impacted. Right. Yeah. Well, good thought. Okay. That's All right. Number three. Let's talk about number three. I, when, when I'm thinking about it, I would say that cybersecurity requires that, that your compliance person have knowledge of all the areas of external vulnerabilities when it comes to third-party risk. Now... That sounds just like, well, you know, that's what we do in compliance, right? right? right. Third-party risk. Yeah, we got our vendor management program. We know what we're doing. I'm talking about those third-party service providers that may not be your service provider, but they're the service provider of your customer. And sometimes the cyber threat comes in through that customer 
or it comes in through that third party, even if it's your employee. Because we have a lot of groups. I think there was a, I think there was a time period back when the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau was just beginning. And you know when they, they started looking at certain types of companies, even like payday lending, right? Right. And companies started going back, especially financial institutions, and looking at all the payday lenders to see if there are any among their own customers that were a significant problem or issue. You should be doing the same type of thing with cyber threats. Take a look out there of the external threats of what we're starting to see from companies that are being targeted, and are those companies providing services to your customers or to your employees such that you should start monitoring them and ensure that they're not being targeted? that's going to open doors or access into your business. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, the, the, I think I'll go to number four. Okay. How's that? That sounds great. All right. No, so number four, I have to say this, Lynn. Winter is coming. No. <laughs> <laughs> I am a Game of Thrones fan. But when I think about um, winter is coming, I'm saying that in terms of just get ready because there's going to be more cybersecurity legislation, rules, guidelines, state laws, expectations. We keep thinking we're there. We get a little of this, a little of that, and it's, it's continuing to grow. And the only way you're going to be able to stay ahead of how much more change is going to be required from a compliance standpoint and even from the organization standpoint, is you got to keep looking at what's growing and changing out there. I was just noticing just recently, I try and take a look at um, new legislation, and there was a piece of legislation being looked at in Congress. I think it's called the Cybersecurity Disclosure Act. And they were actually, actually in this act, they're, they're going to probably, if it passes, have language that says, do you have a board member that is a cyber expert? And if you don't, Explain why there is no expertise in cyber-related matters needed on your board. Hmm. What great things are you doing, company, that your board doesn't have to have a cyber expert? Can you wow, imagine that? I can't imagine. But that's the kinds of things that, you know, if you start taking a look at the legislation and the rules that are coming up, and, and all states now have something relevant to cyber, it's not going to stop. It's going to keep growing and growing and growing. I think I also saw in some areas that the National Institute of Standards is, is looking at implementing a framework for assessing and improving cybersecurity in the U.S. So you can start expecting something more is going to come that way, right? And I saw another area where there was a new bill being introduced that would give the FTC rule writing authority to set national cybersecurity standards. So we know winter is coming. There is more to come. Keep your eyes open. Pay close attention to what's growing out there and get ye ready for winter. That's number four. That's great advice. That is great advice. Yeah. So what's number five? When I give you five, I'm going to put it all together. Okay, great. To me, cybersecurity requires a comprehensive enterprise risk management strategy and framework. And currently, most cybersecurity programs are part of the IT program. Right. And it's not a broadly reaching, enterprise-wide, very comprehensive framework like you would have with AML, for example. And you, AML crosses everything. Everybody right. looks, everybody has expectations, everybody has requirements, everybody has testing. Do we have that same type of background and expectation when it comes to cybersecurity? That I can remember, I'm as 
very old here, but I can remember when AML was just a deposit That's, mm-hmm. program. It eventually got enterprise-wide, but it took a lot of regulatory nudging to yes. get up there. So do you think that's what's going to happen Absolutely. Here? Absolutely. Mark this day. What's today? And say, Cassie Chandler told you on this day. If it's two years from there now or five years from now, I guarantee you it's going to be that way. Because cyber is becoming the essence of who we are. It's the way we do everything. It's done through the Internet. It's done through, through some type of a cyber means, right? right? It's going to have the same requirements. And there's such a global out impact when it comes to cybersecurity. It's got to have that same level of expectation. So, yes, mark your calendars. It's definitely going to happen. But I would also say, so when you're looking at that kind of uh, a very well-structured, comprehensive program, I think it, it's going to require that... Um, that we also have in place, and I've been talking to a lot of people about this, an intelligence component. Just like you have the intelligence component for AML, there's going to be a need in the cyber program to have intelligence that you can look over in information technology and know when there has been a threat or there's been a breach or a piece of malware. You should be able to connect and analyze that intelligence against what's coming over in your fraud side of the house and financial crimes. Are you seeing some new ring? Has something popped up? And go even further. Are you listening to your customers' disputes when someone says, I didn't do that, to know that it may have been an impact that came from a cyber threat from somewhere else where their identity was taken? All of those pieces come together. And from the cybersecurity aspect, When you see all those pieces come together and you plan for it and you monitor for it and you test for it and you have detection and prevention capabilities in place for it and you have the right software, then you've got a strong, comprehensive cybersecurity risk management strategy in play. So that's number five. Well, that's great. I want to ask you a specific question. Mm -hmm. I know you know what spoofing is on the telephone, right? Mm -hmm. When you get a phone number, comes up on your phone and it's not really the number that's calling you. Right. I, I feel really stupid even, even mentioning this, but last week my phone rang and it said Verizon customer service because we call Verizon. We've had them for years. And so I answered it and it was a robotic call asking me to put in my password. Mm. And because it said Verizon customer service, I trusted it. You put in your I password? I put my password oh, in. Oh, wow. <laughs> I hate to even admit it. And then afterwards, I thought about it and decided maybe that wasn't a good thing to do. So I called Verizon. They said, no, we never call like that. Right. So somebody spoofed their customer service That's right. phone and called me and presented themselves as Verizon and asked for my date of birth and zip code. They even asked for your date of birth? They and, did. Oh, wow. And I immediately, of course, changed my password when I realized that it wasn't the right thing. Mm-hmm. But it worries me because if somebody can spoof them, they could spoof my bank's phone number. That's correct. And call me and ask me for all that information. I had one. I had one of those occur. You did? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have believed it if it didn't come up on my phone mm-hmm. as the right number. So the fact is, it can come up on your phone as the right number and yeah. not be the right number. Yeah, yeah. A lot of t- you know, we, we've gotten to the point where we train people to expect that in emails. 
Right. Don't go on the link. Actually go and you right. know, type the things in and so forth. But we're not telling enough people to get ready for the spoofing on the telephones. And they're getting more and more sophisticated every day. I mean, that's interesting that it came back showing you it was Verizon instead of another number. I wouldn't have answered it otherwise. I wouldn't have even answered yeah. my phone because you get so many robocalls now mm -hmm. that unless I'm expecting a call or it comes up on my phone as a friend of mine or a, a known entity, I just let it take a message. And most of the numbers that I don't recognize, no message is left. Yeah. Yeah. But this one said Verizon customer service because I have it in my phone as Verizon customer service. So how hard is it to find Verizon customer services number? It's not hard at all. It's on their website as all the phone numbers from the financial institutions are on their website. One of the other ways that they're getting into your telephone is they, they have your first three digits. So let's say, for example, my first three digits, if you're in... in um, a telephone maybe from Washington DC and your first three digits are 202, you're in the 202 area code. I had my first three digits on my private cell phone, which I think was purchased in San Diego or something like that. Right. And now suddenly I'm living in North Carolina and I'm receiving phone calls from that area code and I'm thinking, oh, it must be someone I know because no one else has this. So it's just another way. Now it's, and this is really getting very difficult for a lot of us, if I don't see a name of somebody I know, I just turn my phone off because I know my phone has been compromised in some shape, form, or fashion. So until I can figure it out or ready to get a new one, I just turn the whole doggone thing off. That's, it's just getting to a point, and I think the reason for this very comprehensive strategy and the importance of, of sharing the right intelligence across all the vectors, all of the segments of, uh, of a company, of a financial institution, is because that's what's happening. It's become so creative, so perfect, that if you're not sharing the right information and the intelligence about what's going on out there, and, and knowing, by the way, what's going on out there, you're opening the gaps and you're giving these cyber criminals and cyber thieves access to your systems and, and even more. So I'm, I, I wanted to just make sure I, I provided kind of a couple of thoughts when I talk about the comprehensive cybersecurity strategy because I, I talked a little bit about it. I want to kind of capsulize it, if you don't mind, no, so, we, so we don't forget. One is make sure that you're capable of enterprise identification of cyber risk, whether it is internal, your employee, not intentional or intentional, external. Know what those threats are out there that uh, the industry's talking about it, a lot of the federal agencies talk about it. If you're not connected and you're waiting maybe for your information security people on the IT side of the house to tell you just something on a breach, you're missing a whole lot of other intelligence that you should be a part of, like your spam, right? Right. Or spoofing, you, you need to know about those types of things to know what's gonna impact you. That's something that a compliance partner needs to know. Um, know what the threats are, know where you could be vulnerable for those types of threats. So you need to know that external intelligence. Two, make sure you have your board engaged. We've already talked about it, right? You're, you can expect to see sooner or later they're going to expect more from the board. So let's start getting ready with the board now and start training them up and getting them up to par. Number three is make sure you require an enterprise identification analysis and sharing internally of that cyber intelligence that you're hearing and seeing about, whether it's from a customer's dispute or a complaint, a financial crimes matter, malware or an intrusion, make sure you've got some type of process or program in place where you're forcing different lines of business to come to the table and share cyber security intelligence. Number four, have prevention strategies in place that incorporate constantly evolving training. 
right? Right. Number five, understand upcoming global regulatory expectations. So I will end with this little story. I was reading an article, because I like to go back and track on what's coming up, what's being said out there. And I was reading an article about Yahoo that was sued in a class action lawsuit 2017. And there are about 1 billion uh, users whose information data had been compromised. So social security, date of birth, or all the things that you gave out when you were spooked. <laughs> It went out in Yahoo too. So if you had a Yahoo account, it probably went out there too. But it, it was it was a um, it occurred three times, 2013 through 2016, three breaches. So now there's a class action, right? Here's what's interesting about that, and to keep in the back of your mind, the court said allowed the suit for this reason: the risk of future identity theft on those customers, and loss of value of their personal identification information. I had never heard that before. Loss of value of my personal identifiable information. Wow. It's can pretty valuable though, Wow, right? and, it, and it is valuable, but can you imagine the number of lawsuits that could occur to a financial institution or to a major company because they've allowed that threat to occur and that information went out the door? Loss of value of my personal identification information. Wow. Anyway, that's my five points. Well, thank you, Cassie. And as I predicted, she would scare us, and I think she <laughs> certainly has. So all of you compliance heroes, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at lferrell at treliant.com, and we would love to hear from you and hear what your suggestions are for our future podcast. So thank you for joining us today, and thank you so much, Cassie, for coming and talking to us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Lynn.